Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week and the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking to the folks that helped bring Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem to the big screen this past year. This week we've got script and recording coordinator Andrew Justra. We're talking all things Mutant Mayhem, so if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it and then come back and listen. If you want to be a patron and help support this show as we grow, check the show notes and sign up today. Now, let's get to my chat with Andrew. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head Podcast. I'm your host Julian. Today I'm joined by Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. I mean, I'm happy to have you here, man. Like uh, we were talking just a little bit ago, folks. Uh, it's been a long time coming. It's probably since they announced the Turtle movie coming out, you were like one of the first people I hit up. And I'm like, man, I want to talk to you. And you're like, we got to wait. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> we can wait. No problem. Uh, you know, it was a long time coming. I'm happy we're doing this. I got to say, uh, I was saving the story for when we hit record. When I told yeah. you about that first movie I ever saw for the Ninja Turtles, that first live action directed by Steve Barron, uh, that is, in my opinion, a perfect, flawless movie. You guys are the first iteration of anything Turtles, TV shows, comic books, movies, what have you, to come close to knocking that one off of its peak, off of its shelf, if you will. Um, phenomenal movie, man. Uh, so oh, thank you where so do much. you want to... Oh, no, thank you. You guys crushed <laughs> It's high praise. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad, glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad, yeah, the response has been overwhelmingly uh positive so far which is is really nice after you know two and a half years of, of working on something just to finally have it out in the world and having people mm-hmm. mostly like it so <laughs> well if they don't mostly like it man they're I, I think they might be a little screw loose and you know if, uh, up there in the head if you know what i mean um but yeah, like yeah. i said I, I had so much fun with this movie. I'll, I'll even give you a story. I haven't told too many people uh, this story. So when we went to see this movie, I took uh, my oldest son. He's 13. Uh, we took my my wife's cousin's kid because um, him and my, my my oldest son are really good friends. And then we took my two-year-old. Now, my two-year-old can give you every turtle, every villain, every character wow. that possibly popped up in, the, in this trailer. And uh, I love this movie so much. There's two things that I just don't do. I don't do spiders and I don't do puke. It was so hot in this movie theater in the middle of Florida, right? I think you know where I'm going oh, with this man. one. Yep, it was yep. so hot in this movie theater that my youngest son had eaten popcorn and some watered-down fruit punch and puked all over me, right? And this is oh, like no. 35 minutes left of the movie. And oh, I don't no. do puke. I do not do well with this. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm still, like, I'm just trying to wipe it into, you know, the popcorn bucket that was empty at that point just so I can sit here and watch. That's how good this movie was, man. I, I was standed the smell of vomit from a two-year-old's high C and popcorn to watch the rest of this movie. To finish it. Well, thank you. I'm sorry. That was your, (laughs) your first viewing experience, but uh, um, you know, it probably paired well with April towards the, you know, uh, it it did. (laughs) It was almost synced up. It's like smell of vision. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. (laughs) But no, man, let's let's, let's take a step back. Uh, You know, obviously, like I said, this, this, this one was in production for a little while. Uh, COVID kind of had some bumps in the road for you guys. Definitely changed the game uh, when it came to workflow and how you guys communicated and how you guys really pushed through this, man. Um, But how do you, how do you go about getting onto this amazing movie? We'll start there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started on the project in January of 2021. Um, I had, uh, you know, 2020 year before, uh, during lockdown, the pandemic out here in LA, I was, um, looking for, for gigs and, uh, I, you know, I, I'm working towards becoming a writer. So I was looking for writer's assistant and script coordinator jobs. And, uh, a friend of mine who was 
uh, had just started as production manager on an animated feature at Nickelodeon, uh, reached out and said that they might be hiring a script coordinator uh, sometime early the next year. And I was like, oh, cool. I'd love to be considered. What's what's the project? And she was like, oh, it's a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> I try, try not to like dork out too much. But, you know, I obviously was thrilled and had already heard about it, that it was in development. And um just kind of like, okay, well, keep me posted. And I try to just put it out of my head entirely thinking like, you know, you never know. There's so many opportunities that come out that don't work out. And um, she, she reached back out a few months later and was like, Hey, do you want to interview, you know, with me and the line producer? And then did that and it went well enough. And um, uh, a couple of days later uh, they reached back out and like, Hey, do you want a follow-up interview with our director, Jeff Rowe? Um, and so that was the first time I, I had met Jeff. I knew of him because I had worked at Sony Animation um, uh, on a couple of movies in production a few years before that while he was working on Mitchell's versus the Machines. So I knew of him and, and loved his work. And um, yeah, it was great. Jeff kind of pitched me this new take on what this version of the movie was going to be and um, must must have said something right because because I ended up getting an offer on the movie like the same week and said yes right away and um and started in january so it was uh it was yeah i i was so excited you know i've, I've loved this franchise my whole life so getting the opportunity to work on it in any capacity was exciting but especially in a role where it's something where i could continue learning the thing that i want to do for the rest of my life so um yeah, it was it was awesome. And that first the first six months or so that I they had already been working in development a little bit for probably six months uh, by the time I started doing, you know, early concept artwork of what this new version of the Turtles were going to be, um, you know, brainstorming the story and that kind of stuff. And my first couple of weeks on the show, the first full draft of the script came in Um and and that was yeah that was my role i was the script and recording coordinator so i would get a draft into the script distribute that to all the departments on the show uh we would um then have meetings with jeff and the storyboard artists where he would break break into chunks from that script sequences for them to go off and storyboard those would come back to me i would do what's called a conform pass in the script where if they had made any changes to the action or added some different dialogue um i would update the script to match that and then that would go into editorial where those storyboards would be timed out in animatic by our editors. Um, and uh, I would ha then have Jeff record like rough voices, what's called scratch, um, scratch audio, basically to do a rough draft of the movie. And that's kind of how we kept iterating that, you know, that's, that's how it workflow for every animated movie, but just kept doing that over and over film, getting better and better. And then finally, uh, I think that summer is when we cast the teenagers, the boys uh, to play the turtles. And that's when we started doing actual production records where their voices were put in. Um, and so I was responsible for setting up all those recording sessions, dealing with their managers and agents to get all of their schedules lined up. And uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And it was, it was like that all the way till the end of the production. But um, it was, it was an amazing learning experience for me just because I'm, I'm getting to be a, a fly on the wall in these meetings where Jeff is workshopping it in editorial and, um, you know, occasionally Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberger in there and they're throwing ideas around. And it was just a masterclass and watching them work and, and taking the movie from, you know, this kind of 
rough mass into a this finely chiseled thing by the end um so yeah the that's what does that answer your question oh, <laughs> oh it absolutely does <laughs> yeah, it raises yeah. a, it raises a couple I, I i'm sure to talk it does about, man. Yeah. oh absolutely does uh jeff Rowe, man what a phenomenal phenomenal person to to have helming this the mitchell's versus the machines i've said it so many times on this podcast it should have won the oscar for best animated movie that year i think Encanto won it and uh, i mean it's there it, there wasn't one dull moment of mitchell's versus the machines it was so fun from the get-go the animation style you'd already started to see this animation style kind of creep in i think you know this is either same year or maybe the year after, you know, Spider-Verse comes out and it kind of Spider-Verse kind of, you know, puts everything on its head, um, yep. flips the game upside down essentially and starts to change everything with the, I had, I had one of you guys as uh, colorist visual designs guy, uh, Dave bleach bleach. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, I, I had yeah, him on yeah. a couple weeks ago and we talked a little bit about turtles um, because he it hadn't come out yet at that point. Um, so yeah. he, he's going to come back on and do a deeper dive, but um I had asked him the same question. I was like, all of these new movies that are coming out, like you see it in Puss and Boost Last Wish, you saw it in Mitchell's versus the Machines, you definitely see it in the Turtles. Um, and he had a pretty cool descriptive of when he broke down like the art design for Turtles. And it was, I think he said it was something like, imagine if you're doing artwork in high school and it's like WWE wrestling stuff. He he used something else and for the life of me, I can't, it'll come to me after we get off the phone call or after the Zoom call. But uh, for the life of me, I just can't remember what he said, but it was such an it's such a beautiful description of like the animation style for the turtles for this one in particular fucking yeah. great choice, man. It was so beautiful. It was so fitting. I mean, it, it it's so hard to articulate like the, what I'm trying to get through as far as yeah, the appeal yeah. to it. It's just everything about it fit. Like the voices were phenomenal. You guys crushing on that one, the art style and all of these different styles of animation are being folded into one movie with these last couple of movies that I had just mentioned. And I called right. it like mixed media because you see a little bit of stop motion. You see this CGI, but you see these other things that are just like layering into the movie yeah. to make this, like I said, this masterpiece that you guys made. Um, and going back to Jeff for just a second, um, when he's doing these before I get to that one. What was that highlight getting that that email back? How long were you running like, oh, my God, they're going to get me. I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. How long was that going for? Man, I did you party is what I'm getting at. Did I party? Not not a lot because it was it was uh, it was still very, you know, when was it uh, end of October, early November? So. You know, in LA, everything was still shut down. Like everything was mm. so, so my, my girlfriend at the time and I were fiance now. We were, uh, we were just held up at home. I'm sure we had like a nice dinner or something, but didn't really get yeah. to celebrate it until, until much later. But I was, um, I, I didn't even finish reading the email, uh, when I was, you know, it was like, yes, of course. And, uh, uh, I called my parents and and a couple of my friends and yeah I was I was it was at that point that I let myself get excited and and was over the moon with it and um you know it was nice because I had a few weeks from that time until when I started so I was able to just kind of relax and um and also just do homework I I went back and watched a bunch of the old the old movies and the old 87 cartoon and, and started rereading the comics, which I did over the course of the whole show. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a surreal moment. Now, you know, I, it's one of those things where you build up these expectations of like, Oh, being part of this thing could 
really changed my life. Like, and um, it has like, it's, it's two and a half years later now. And, and so many things that I couldn't have dreamed of doing, I've gotten a chance to do now. And um, I, I'm just so grateful I got to do it. So. Chase your dreams, ladies and gentlemen, is what Andrew's <laughs> saying here, man. Yes. Um, going back to going back to Jeff for just a second as well. Uh, when you guys were doing those, the, these, you call it scratch voices or was it just mm-hmm. scratch? Yeah. Okay. Scratch recording. Yep. What was, what was his best character and what was his worst character doing that? Do you remember? Oh man. Um, he did an absolutely hilarious and unhinged Cynthia Utram. Um, yeah. <laughs> He he did this just absolutely crazy uh, accent. Uh, it was so funny. It was almost funny enough to be like, "This could well, could we actually get away with him?" To um, I don't think he ever would have seriously considered it. But his Cynthia was uh, both um, amazing and terrible, depending on who you asked. But it was it was so funny. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of of someone that he also like really nailed. Um, he i i i liked i liked some of his take on leonardo too just because you know leo's just this kind of straight and narrow guy and jeff is able his voice just kind of fits that pretty well so um but it was always it was always entertaining uh uh hearing that i have um i have a recording of him singing uh TMNT theme song very off key that um i have set is my ringtone for if he calls me um which I'm sure he really appreciates. So, <laughs> oh, that's pretty great, man. Um, now it's not just uh, with like I said with this with this movie, this is like the first time I think I mentioned earlier, but this is like the first time I've felt like a kid in a very long time. I just turned 34 a couple of days ago, but like seeing this Happy trailer, yeah. thank you, man. Uh, seeing this trailer mm-hmm. on my phone was nothing compared to seeing this movie or seeing the trailer in the movie theaters. I went there and I think we actually saw it on, on uh, when we went and seen across the spider verse. I think it was one of the trailers oh, that sure. we played then. And yeah. I thought we were going to get kicked out of the movie theater because like I said, I, I take the two year old and I'm usually taking them just to kids movies and stuff like that. Cause you expect kids to, you know, talk and laugh and get up and move and shit like that. So there's no real expectations for like nothing that's less than chaotic when you go with the kid or you go to a kid movie. Yeah. Right. Yep. So as soon as, as soon as the trailer hits, right. He's, trying to stand up in his seat and he's still way too little to like sit in a seat so i have to put my leg on his seat so it stays and it you know he doesn't flip up like a v so he's trying to stand up and he's just going mikey donnie rap he's naming every single character i'm like shh, 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 you're gonna get us kicked out man you're gonna get kicked out and then i'm seeing all the other kids do the same thing and then i had this like i had this like flashback and I, i'm thinking i was like i wonder if this is what my mom saw when she saw me doing the same yeah. thing with these turtles, like I, I got a, I, I was both an out of body body experience and an in body experience, just watching him have so much joy for characters. He literally just found out about six months ago, right? Like because he's only two years old, you know. So he yeah. just found out about these, and he can name every character, and just the joy was on his face. I look at that, and it made that movie that much more special to me when we went and seen it. Just seeing the That's joy awesome. in his eyes and joy as his face made me feel like, oh man, this is this is what it's all about. This is this this is what I was like when I was his age or when I was a little bit older. I, I still am, and yeah. I think I had messaged you when uh, we were talking like favorite scenes through the movie when we were talking on Instagram and shit. When yeah. that 
old boy reference slash daredevil reference hit for that fight sequence <laughs> i yep. legitimately thought i was gonna get kicked out man i was like let's go i'm standing up i'm pumped and then you see the old boy reference and then no diggity drops right yeah yep, and i'm yep. like oh man they, they spent some money on this soundtrack um <laughs> now through I didn't want to go too in detail with you when I was on Instagram because I want to save a lot of these for when we talked. Um, yeah, but yeah. that scene in particular, obviously, you saw every iteration of this movie from start to finish and everything in between. Was that scene a focal point at all? Did that come up later? How did that one manifest? All right. As we take a pause for the cause, man, search us up on social media at In My Head. There you'll find who we've got coming up next. If you want to submit a question to be asked, you can do that there, too. Last little bit of housekeeping before we roll back into this episode. If you're listening to us, make sure you drop us a five-star rating and review. Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening to this, drop us a rating so other folks can find us. Now, let's get back to that show. Yeah, remember, there, I know it's a long time Yeah, it, <clears throat> it evolves. I think there was, I think for, for quite some time, there was some sort of montage where you saw them taking down criminals and getting a little bit better at being ninjas mm -hmm. um so that was always that was always going to happen for it to be like that the the old boy daredevil and a little bit of um a little bit of everything everywhere all, all at once in terms of just like having the same shot like mm -hmm. you know uh composition but changing from location to location that didn't come in until later um the artist that boarded that uh, his name was John Jackson, who's super talented. And and Jeff, as Stephen said, like basically the script pages were not did not describe an old boy style fight. It was just kind of like, you know, here they are at Bad Bernie's place. Here they are at Short Sharon's place taking down bad guys. And so John really ran with that and and came up with that idea. And then our our co-director, Kyler Spears and our head of story, Gabe Lynn, um, both kind of fine tuned it a bit. And, uh, and then when it got into editorial our editor, Greg Levitan and, and Jeff just sat and just kept, you know, fine tuning it so that it was perfect. And I, I pretty sure it was Jeff's idea to have no diggity as the song. And that was like, that was pretty early when we were cutting the sequence together. And it was one that it just, it fits so perfectly and we loved it and it definitely cost some money. Um, and there, there were a couple times where we were like, oh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get it or not. But uh, luckily, Nickelodeon uh, uh, saw it as a good, good investment. And so I'm so I'm so glad that it worked out because, yeah, that's one of my favorite, favorite sequences in the movie. It's so fun. What was the artist's name? You said it was John Jackson. John Jackson was. Yeah. And he he uh, on Instagram just put up his his rough storyboards uh, for that. So if you're if you're online, follow him and uh, check it out because it's pretty cool. Dude follow him twice man because like i said john jackson <laughs> if you're watching this chef's kiss that that scene like i said that scene i was smiling from ear to ear from the get-go when this movie hit when that scene hits i think it's probably like what maybe 25 30 minutes into the movie is when that scene hits and i'm like dude these guys have got everybody involved has got my money and my undying support forever because of just like i said it was just <laughs> I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. I've always wanted something like this from the Turtles. Right. You know, yeah. and and that soundtrack, that soundtrack has got like core memories unlocked because not only did you have that one, you also had Vanilla Ice's Ninja Rap, Go Ninja Rap. Right. And when I heard that, I'm like, 
no, I didn't hear that. And then I heard other parents say, was that vanilla ice? I'm like, well, I know I didn't, <laughs> this wasn't a fever dream, essentially. So I'm getting that you guys hit it. Yeah. Um, you know, so there was, you could tell from start to finish that every person that, that laid a finger to this, that laid any kind of DNA into this movie, man, it was fan fan service in the best possible way. I know a lot of people don't like that term fan service. Um, I guess it's got a derogatory meaning for some people. For me, I want fans that work on this stuff because you get yeah. to see somebody's true passion and true love for this. That's what oozed out of this. No pun intended, man. It just, <laughs> the love of this franchise and these characters just oozed off the screen is what I'm getting yeah. at. Um, now when music, and the only reason I'm asking this question is because I've, I've never done too much of the film side. You know, I've done mm -hmm. some movies here and there, Sure. but my, my information or my knowledge, excuse me, is a little bit limited when it comes to film. Now yeah. on the animation side, when it comes to TV series and stuff, a lot of people will say that the music is like the last thing that gets done. You know, whenever you're doing a, uh, like a score for an episode, like I had a, I had the composer for Curse the Cowardly Dog on and he's like, literally yep. you get like a week and they're like, Hey, I need this done in a week. And you'll have to do six, seven episodes in one go. And you guys are in the room banging your heads off the wall, trying to figure something out. How yeah. far into production or how close to release is music brought in? Is it a conversation from start, you know, until it's finished? Or is that something that comes up post-production or how does that work? Yeah. So a lot of times um, we'll use uh, temp temp tracks uh, in editorial. So when we're building those rough draft versions that we'll do screenings of and, and testing and everything, and that will use basically existing scores that are out there that fit the feel of the scene. Um, and those are just temporary. Uh, some now that's a combination of like actual musical scores from movies and then needle drops like no diggity. Um, so it's a combination of those two things. The needle drops a lot of times are ones that they are looking for the one that will be the final one for the movie. So um you know, like in, in the temporary version, we had no diggity there. We had what's up by four non blondes in there. We had the crazy He-Man remix version of that came in uh, at one point. And so those were all things that we were fiddling with all throughout in terms of the actual score with uh, Trent and Atticus, um, they came onto the movie about a year ago. Um, and they, they, they did some early just kind of, you know, ideas of sounds and, and little, you know, probably one or two minute snippets and sent them to Seth and Jeff just to be like, Hey, is this the kind of feel that you guys like and that kind of stuff? And they would try that out. And then, yeah, that really wasn't until probably the past six months that they really, you know, focused and, and came in when they were doing the final sound mix of the film and had them scoring everything else. So um, you're right. And, and similar to TV, it is something that does come very late in the process. Um, and as a result of that, you know, there are some timing things that might have to get shuffled around a little bit just because like, you know, you try to have action hit uh, uh, in conjunction with the music. So like, you know, no diggity as soon as like the beat drops, you're having a door fly open or somebody get hit in yeah. the face, that kind of thing. And that has to be timed perfectly so that the animators know to do it exactly at that moment. Uh, you get a little more leeway with the score just because it's background and doesn't necessarily interact with the environment. Um, but but um, they, I, I was just talking to some folks that worked on the movie today about how how blown away we were and how much it elevated those moments that had mm -hmm. their score in it. Just because 
with the temp tracks obviously were really good but they they're so good at what they do and we're able to just elevate those moments to you know when you're when you're supposed to feel sad for the turtles you really feel sad because the music swells and um you know triumphant when they're when they're defeating superfly and um i i've i've been listening to the score in my car i love it it's it's great it really is man like i said every everything you can really tell like it's one hand washes the other when it comes to every aspect of this movie um now since we're talking music for just a second you guys had one of the biggest artists of all time attached to this movie an ice cube man um and i've had a couple people on that have uh, had him as a voice actor on some of his uh, some of their films, you guys being one, and then Jorge Gutierrez for the Book of Life. Uh, he was oh, yeah. the candle maker in that one yes. too, you know. So I love, 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 love Ice Cube, and I'm a huge, like I said, huge fan. And anytime we can hear some Ice Cube stories, I'm always down. Do you have a cool Ice Cube story, or do you get to have any kind of interaction with him while he's doing the voice acting? I, I did, which uh, uh, I felt like anytime I was just in the same room with for him i was i was 10 times cooler than i actually am <laughs> um just by being near him he's he's awesome he's he's such a nice guy he's such a professional um i uh yeah he, him him getting cast as superfly was was um i i can remember the day it happened like jeff had a creative meeting where he and seth and probably some of the executives had a zoom call with him where they had to pitch him the concept of it and um you know, I can remember, I think one of the executive assistants messaged me and they're like, ice cubes in. And I ran into Jeff's office playing. Uh, it was a good day on my phone, just ah. all the way up. Um, but we were we were all very excited. And um, let's see, I think the very the first session with him was an ensemble session with the other turtles. So that's this is the first time we're all meeting him in person and first time he's recording for the character. So we had. Uh, Micah wasn't in person that day. He was over Zoom because he wasn't feeling great. And we were trying to be careful with COVID and everything. So Micah, who plays Donatello, was over Zoom at home. And then uh, Nicholas, Shimon, and Brady were all in town. Um, and we're all in a studio together. Seth and Evan were there. And so we recorded with the boys for probably an hour or so um, just to get through some of the stuff that they had in scenes without him. And then, um, and then he showed up and, uh, you know, everybody wasn't really sure what it's like, Oh, what's this going to be like, you know, and, and Seth pitched him, uh, pitched him the character and what this, the first scene he was going to be doing with all the boys. And he was kind of quiet at first. And, and, you know, we, we just had no idea what was about to happen. And then he gets on the microphone and just immediately in character is like, well, bad Bernie's got turtles on the payroll. He's like, it just immediately and blows everybody away. And, um, he was so funny and and cool and he you know he introduced himself to everybody that was from the crew that was there and and was you know very humble and but the what i really loved was that he took the time to like between takes when we were taking breaks and stuff he'd go hang out with the boys who are you know they're all teenagers and you know ask him about what other stuff they're working on and what their aspirations were and um uh shaman uh michelangelo was telling him that he was working on his first screenplay that you know that he's ever written and uh he was asking ice cube for advice because you know he wrote friday and and oh he's a writer as well yeah barber yeah so um and and just typical cube just being so succinct uh was like you know 
Act one, you get your characters. Act two, you put them into some shit. Act three, you get them <laughs> out of that shit. Um, and uh, like it's good. It's, it's he's not wrong. Um, but yeah, all the all the kids loved working with him. And um, other times, you know, when we had to record him solo, he he definitely did all of his homework. Like he always came in really prepared for his lines, and he had ideas. The whole the whole thing where he added on to, you know. The, an inflection to his voice and adding the zzz noises at the end of things that, that was all his idea um which was really funny and the references the the ice tea song lyrics and the oh yeah um all that's all that stuff was was stuff that he came up with just on the fly uh pun intended um <laughs> uh but uh yeah he was he was great um it, it it's it's so cool and you guys got quite a few um quite a few people that I've absolutely been enamored with uh, for my entire life. I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to music, I, I've got such an eclectic, you know, or genre or array of music that I, I like to listen to anything from, I'm a huge nineties hip hop fan. I mean, I don't think I would have been able to contain myself. I, the first thing I'd have been like, I mean, tell me more about MWA. I want to know how much of that didn't make it into straight out of Compton. Tell me more about oh, Eazy-E. Yeah. Tell me more about Dre. Tell me more about this guy. I want to know everything. We're supposed to be doing Turtles right now, but we can talk Turtles <laughs> later. Let's talk 90s hip-hop. I mean, like I said, uh, the I, I told this story with my Jorge Gutierrez one, but I think it's a fun one. So my my uh, my oldest son, Hayden, he's probably in like third, fourth grade this time. And uh, he had come home from school and then they had one of those like they wheel in the movie things and they're they're showing a movie for class. And it was Are We There Yet? You know, one of uh, Ice Cube's first kids movies, family movies. Yep. And, you know, he had ha he had said something. He was like, hey, dad, some of the kids were saying that Ice Cube was a rapper. Is that true? And I was like. Well, yeah, he's a rapper. Why Why would you ask? Me? He's like, well, he's an actor. I was like, well, I mean, people can do more than just one thing. I was like, I cook, <laughs> but I also do this and I do this and I do this. So you can do more than one thing. And he was like, well, can you play some of his music? And I'm like, yeah, I can. And I, <laughs> there was no better way to introduce my, my at that time, probably eight-year-old son, nine-year-old son, somewhere around there to Ice Cube than the hardest and greatest diss track of all time. No Vaseline coming straight at nwa after he leaves him right and i'm taking Amazing. him to karate and shit yeah and i'm literally and my my son my son's one of those kids like he loves a whole bunch of different music but he's just like me like he's breaking down bar by bar like what does he mean when he says this so he'll go and google stuff and he was yeah. he was asking me all this stuff so i'm explaining it to him like why ice cube was so mad at nwa and why he was mad at all these people that he was in a group with and then we come home a couple hours later from karate and stuff and then my wife's like, hey, how, how was it, you know, and what you guys talk about or whatever on the car ride? And then before I could say anything, he first said, like, Dad, let me listen to Ice Cube. And she looked at me and I was like, yeah, I let him listen to Ice Cube. She's like, and he's like, yeah, the, the rapper. And I was like, yeah, you know, the guy I was like, the guy that was in Are We There Yet? And she's like, you mean the guy that was in NWA? I was like, I didn't think you had that much street kid, <laughs> street kid. I didn't think you'd know. <laughs> know what that was but yeah i let him listen to it it's okay you know but you know nonetheless man a, a phenomenal actor great choice i loved all of the the references like you said the iced tea references i loved hearing because it took me a while i was like am i hearing things when he was at the end of it i was like am i yeah. hearing that or i was like oh shit that actually happened um so great casting on that one and the other guy i want to bring up uh jackie chan we had this talk uh as well as through instagram yeah there's no bigger or better action star when it comes to action stars than jackie yep. chan for me i mean rumble in the bronx is probably the first action movie i remember seeing like four or five years old um 
just enamored. My my stepfather had a floor to ceiling down the hallway, just full of VHSs from action movies to Westerns to everything you can imagine. Steven Seagal, Chuck Norris, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Jackie Chan. He had every single VHS you could possibly imagine. Horrible person in real life. Great movie collection, though. So he had some <laughs> redeeming qualities. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but, you know, he had a little bit. Uh, when <laughs> I see that Jackie Chan is cast as Splinter, I yeah. literally wanted to give everybody a round of applause, man. A standing ovation. Take your bow. Because I thought that was fitting, you know? I look at Jackie Chan. I'm like, man, that, that's Splinter. Splinter is Jackie Chan. Um, how soon or how late, I guess, in the game did you guys know you were getting Jackie? Was it kind of the same thing with Ice Cube? You had to pitch him and then he was up for it? Or was he always a name that was bounced around for Splinter? Um, he, I think it, it took a little time before, uh, before he was cast. Um, I want to say I, I'd been on the movie at least a year or a year and a half before they, mm -hmm. they got him. And we had tried, you know, we, we basically had scratch voices for a long time, um, and trying to figure out this version of him. And, and cause you know, obviously the, his origin, it's a little bit different in this version of the movie and, um, he's kind of this, this neurotic overprotective father, but you still want to believe that, you know, he could kick your ass uh, if he wanted to. So, yeah. um, yeah, it, uh, and I'm not even sure where, where the first, you know, idea for, for him came from. I don't know if that was Seth or Jeff or someone in casting, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things where they had to send him the creative materials and pitch it to him and, um, go back and forth for a little while but you know once once he was locked in and we had our first session with him which we recorded him um from uh beijing uh over zoom so you know we're recording it like for us it was the middle of the night it was basically like four or five a.m um and uh, uh we only got a hand, you know, a handful of sessions just because getting the logistics of setting that up uh, was difficult. So every time we recorded him, we really had to make it, make it count and get as much as we could. And, um, but yeah, it, it just sounded so great and so wholesome and funny, um, and, and everything you would want, you know, Jackie Chan to be. And it, it had, it had a bigger influence on the movie as well, just in terms of, yeah, those we we went back and we used to watch movies once or twice uh, a month in like a little Turtles movie club that we did and and tried to pick movies that would be stuff that would inspire us. And, um, you know, we watched uh, uh, not what's what's the one before Super Cop? Is it Police Story? Um, yeah, Police Story. The, we watched Police Story. We, wa we watched a bunch of Jackie Chan movies, too study his fight choreography and and what's always that he does so well is using his environment when he's in a fight yes. whether it's chairs or grabbing things and it's funny but it also looks really cool and um mm -hmm. so you know like if, when you're watching his fight inside of tcri he's spinning around in the chair and he's it's mm -hmm. it's messy and it's dirty but it looks like a jackie chan fight and um you know, also took inspiration for that for some other scenes in the movie too, like the the fight in the chop shop with the turtles where they're fighting those thugs for the first time, you know, stuff flying through the air, the, you know, um, wrenches and the sigh flying around and all that, that was all, you know, a little inspired from his movies. So, um, yeah, he had a huge impact and, uh, 
it was it was just a amazing anytime we got to record with them just because it's like this guy is he is a living legend and he's um, the goat man yeah yeah so a a perfect splinter for sure absolutely now uh with those two obviously there is a lot more names that you know we could mention and keep going on and keep going on uh, i think we do a disservice to the movie if we did that however um seth and john crushed it as bebop and rocksteady i mean I was very curious because I've always been a fan of Seth ever since Superbad and ever since um, I was getting ready to say Step Brothers, but that was like a Freudian slip. I just watched Step Brothers yesterday. Um, but uh, Pineapple Express. Yeah, that dude yep. does no wrong. And then you're, I'm starting to see him pop up more for the voice acting like he was just Donkey Kong, my favorite yep. character in the Nintendo universe. Like whenever I whenever I want to demoralize my opponents in Smash Brothers or Mario Kart, Donkey Kong's always been my Donkey guy Kong. since 64. <laughs> Donkey Kong's oh, yeah. always been my guy. Yeah, I'll play with other characters when it comes to Smash Brothers or Mario Kart. I love Tanuki Mario um, for Mario Kart. But whenever, like, if, you know, my son starts talking shit, my oldest, um, and he sees me pick up Donkey Kong, he literally puts the controller. He's like, I'm I'm not, I, I don't want any part of this. I'm done. Um, you know, yep. so, yeah, they, like I said, you guys did such a great job for the voice casting. Um, I, I was really curious to see what he sounded like because you'd only hear a little bit, you know, little snippets here and there um, with the trailers and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. getting to hear him, you know, articulate, you know, entire lines was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Um, and then John Cena always crushes it. I don't think I've ever seen him in, in anything that I didn't like. Peacemaker. Yeah, he's great. Yep. Oh, fantastic. I mean, a lot of people will say it's The Rock, but I think John Cena is probably the greatest wrestler that's ever turned into an actor i mean they act, act yeah. in and wrestling you know what i mean so it's they're yep. already got that leg up on the competition but this dude is has crushed it. rock don't come at me i i love you man <laughs> but it's just like john cena's crushed it in everything he's touched um with uh with with somebody that is is so nerdy like seth and like evan man I got to imagine that they were pulling some influences that they might have pitched you guys as well. Cause you went back and said that, you know, you still, once you got the job offer, you started reading and absorbing anything turtles that you possibly could. What were some of the things that you were pulling from that you wanted to try to pitch and get in there, or you thought was very creative. And what were some of the things that like they were pulling from? Was it comics? Was it cartoons, movies, TV shows? What was that amalgamation of you guys coming together and making the script? Yeah. I mean, my, you know, but I, I obviously had very little creative influence over my, you know, most of my stuff was logistical, but Jeff was uh, very kind and and great director in that he, he was one of those people who recognized good ideas can come from anywhere. So mm -hmm. he was always really nice about letting me pitch ideas and um, occasionally stuff would would make it in, which I was really grateful for. But, um, you know, for me, I, I wanted to make sure that. uh you know, just as a big fan that it honored, you know, Kevin and Peter and, and there's little nods to both of them in the movie. Yes. Um, obviously Eastman high and, and then the layered uh, yeah, building recorders. that, uh, that they're having on um, pizza on the rooftop of, and then, and then Kevin's uh, little voice cameo uh, towards the end of the film. Um, and then, you know, really they, they looked at, they looked at everything, but they, they didn't want to be, be held to, everything that's come before they wanted to put their own mark on it. And, um, you know, I think, I think the kind of dark 
uh, moody atmosphere from the 1990 live action movie kind of worked its way into our movie just because mm-hmm. most of the movie takes place at night. Um, so that was a big part of it. And then I think the other big thing was the toy line from the 87 cartoon. Um, that is, that's really what probably had the biggest single design influence over our movie was just because those, and, and you know, it was primarily the ones designed by Varner studios for playmates. Um, just cause each one of those figures was so crazy looking in terms of proportions and, uh, color palette. And each one of them kind of had little jokes built into them. Like Mondo Gecko had the roller skate yeah. on the end of his tail. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking around my room where I've got action figures, but it's, each one of them was just kind of told its own little story in it. So I think they wanted to use that um, a lot and kind of the not gross aspect uh, of those old toys, but like, you know, in some way they were, they were weird and they went against the grain and, um, and, and I think that ties into also what you're talking about in terms of the, the high school, you know, teenager being the person that, drew this version of it uh, just to make it a little more rough and have lines coming off of characters and buildings that um, ended up giving it that final look. That's very cool. So, um, but honestly there were influence taken, you know, from everything. Like if you look back at the, at the Mirage comics in issue one, there's, there's a joke about the turtles wearing turtle costumes, uh, which obviously April has, you know, she thinks that they're, crime fighters that are dressed as turtles mm-hmm. before she pokes them in the eye. And um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's all kinds of little nods. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. There were, there were a few things that we considered throwing in there. I tried to get like some references to like pigeon Pete and, and some of you know, pigeon just Pete. more obscure characters, but um, you know, you never know sequel TV show. We could, we could see more of that stuff. So Oh, I hope so. And I have a feeling we will. Um, there was one thing and, uh, you know, Splinter's design, especially that early, uh, you know, going through um, essentially those everybody had them my age growing up, man, your mom or your dad would record everything on the camera VHSs. I can't think of the name of uh, of what they would just call it. I mean, it'll it'll come to me later but uh you know just yeah. your life in in vh i mean we do it now with cell phones and shit um, yeah but like one a dv thing I, I, dv cam or betamax camera or something like yeah yeah absolutely um and there was one thing that stuck out and it was the design for splinter during that time that looked like a very 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 young kevin eastman with that hair the body i don't know if that was you know a conscious effort or if i might just be talking out of my ass at this point but looking yeah. at that and then looking at like because i saw a picture uh, you know right after i saw the movie i saw a picture somebody had shared of kevin and peter probably like one of the first comic cons they went to after like turtles probably one sold completely out i think two it was maybe around issue two or three or something like that they got invited to their first con yeah. and it was just blown kevin up had that crazy that curly hair that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I uh, wonder if that was a direct inspiration for that. I don't I actually don't think that one was intentional, but a very happy accident. Um, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. I I think Woodrow White may have. He, he was one of our main character designers mm-hmm. who designed all the mutants and, and was really integral to all of that. Um, I think he took that pass at Young Splinter, um, but I, I could be wrong on that. But anyways, uh 
but no, that it wasn't, it wasn't the original intent. It was just kind of funny because this was him when he was younger. So let's give him, yeah. let's give him like sort of a perm and uh, it, it looked really funny. I, rem- I remember people's initial reactions because that was the only image of Splinter in the first teaser trailer. And so everybody was like, is this what Splinter is going to look like in the whole movie? And um, uh, I would have dug it, it, man. it was it was a fun look but yeah just just for the flashback so he he lost that hair eventually yeah it was a permed up mullet man and i i being from the (laughs) south man there's there's one thing we love it's it's mullets and el caminos i mean if splinter with that haircut had any kind of car it would have been an el camino Um, i I believe that yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know so like i said start to finish man you guys you guys it really just sounds like man i'm just Pat, I'm breaking my own arm to pat you guys on the back because, like I said, this this movie oh, thank you. was so fun. Like I've seen so many great movies, you know, this year from Spider Man to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Now this one is up here. Um, you know, obviously, I think Puss in Boots came out last year, but you know, I, I just saw it this year. You know, yeah. there there's so many movies that are just coming out, and you guys just keep one upping each other when it in the animation field I, I love it because competition you know iron sharpens iron that old adage you know you guys just keep one-upping each other um i'm interested to see where you guys go for the sequels and the the you know the tv spinoffs um with you doing this you probably can't talk about it. we'll probably have to skip over it but when yeah. you're attached to a movie like this and sequels are announced are you guys automatically brought on for those or do you have to go through like the whole casting thing again yeah not not automatically um you know, I, I pretty sure I'll be returning. I know a lot of the artists will be returning. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of on a case by case basis. I when you know, when the boys first signed on to be the turtles in this one, obviously it was with the potential of sequels and a series and all that stuff. So, you know, they'll, they'll be back. Um, but yeah, every, everybody else, it's kind of, it's not a guaranteed thing. So a lot of us are on hiatus right now. Uh, I'm I'm on hiatus until uh, a little bit later this year, which hopefully we'll we'll start ramping up on it. But um, yeah, it's I think I think we're going to have a lot of the same creative team back, which is really exciting um, just because it was it was such a great team to work with. And uh, yeah, it it, you know, hopefully hopefully we can do it again. Oh, there's no hope. I know you guys are going to crush the next one, man. And with the next one, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, if you're if you're if you're listening to this one, you've obviously seen it or you've got intentions to see it. So three, two, one, there's a spoiler alert coming. Shredder pops up at the end, man. Uh, I was. Dude, there's I, I've said this on so many occasions. I don't know if I've ever said it on on, on the podcast and 140 episodes. I have to imagine I or well. By the time I release this week's episode, it's 140, but I've recorded like 150, 60, 70, somewhere on there. Wow. Um, yeah. Shredder, in my opinion, is the greatest villain of all time. From the fucking design to the color scheme. I mean, he made me like purple as a kid. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, kids, kid, like boys didn't like purple that much that often. Like seeing him, he had the cool fuck, like everything about him just looked cool. He Like you look at a bad guy, like, yeah, that's a bad guy right there. Um, seeing him pop up, at the, I don't know if it was considered a mid credit or a post credit scene. Um, dude, hair was standing up on the back of my neck. I had goosebumps all over. I like, I was, I was legitimately the only thing that I can critique this movie on is like, I wish I had like 18 more hours of this movie. 
That's what I wanted. Like, <laughs> I, I needed like 18 more iterations of this movie. I want to see more. Yeah. But seeing Shredder pop up, and I've heard some of you guys talk about it on uh, interviews that, you know, going back and forth from script to, to all right, we got to rewrite this. This doesn't fit. We got to move this around. You know, Shredder was, I don't know if he, I don't know if the word was a focal point at one point, but he was in at least the first couple iterations of it and it just did not work. So they kind of had to cut that um, mm-hmm. with something like that. And you're pitching to a studio like Nickelodeon, obviously they know everything about the turtles because they've owned the turtles since Peter sold the last stake to them. Um, right. What, 2009, 2008. Was it hard saying, Hey, we're not going to take the low hanging fruit and go super shredder right off the bat or, and we're going to go super fly. What's something like that? Like trying to pitch this to a studio. Yeah, I, so I, I was not involved in that process, but um, I do, you know, that that first version when I when I started on the movie, yes, he was he was in it. He was a major part of the movie. Um, you know, we probably put up really three very distinct, different versions of this movie before we landed on the one that everybody was really happy with. Um, and I think that it took, you know, it, it basically took. Seth and Evan and Jeff uh, is is a creative team going to the the powers that be at Paramount and Nickelodeon being like, hey, this is the direction we want to take the movie. And now here's why. Um, and I, I personally, I was I was really glad that they ended up kind of holding him back a little bit just because mm-hmm. it kind of it builds anticipation for him. Yes, and, you know, it's it. It makes it uh, one. If we hadn't done that, we may not have stumbled upon this great new character of Superfly, uh, which you know became one of my favorite Turtles villains. Now that he exists, um, but I, yeah, I think I think it helps. You know, because you know each each sequel, you want to make the stakes higher, you want to make everything yeah. bigger, and uh, you know it would have been it would have been a bummer to um, you know use splinter and have him through the first one then kind of be like okay now now what and you know obviously there's tons of great huge uh gallery of rogues for the turtles as far as far as villains go but krang and shredder are are the big ones um but yeah they they bought off on it and um i think i think it was one of those things though where if if you're not going to make him the villain of this movie you need to have the promise of him so that's that's that where that post credit scene came from yeah now i don't know if it's been mentioned or if it's even i don't think he had a speaking line in it i mean he might have like grunted or made some kind of noise in that in that but have they cast shredder yet or no shredder has not been cast and okay. yeah he does he does not speak in that in that moment you just you just kind of batman broody yeah Yep, exactly. So uh, mysterious, uh, and and we don't we don't know much about him. So yeah. Now, uh, before I rotate off the voices, man, uh, was there anybody that you would have wanted, or no? Let me take that back. For the guys that were uh, the characters that were in this movie that that were voiced and had some screen time, man, was there anybody that you guys wanted to get that you didn't get? I don't. I don't think so, actually. Like there, uh, let's see. I remember. Yeah, I I think I think everybody that you know, obviously, when you have a an executive producer like Seth, uh, he is friends with lots of people, and lots of people want to work with him. He's got some weight to throw around. 
Yeah. So no, I, I think, uh, I think everybody that they, they really wanted, they were able to get. So, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, you know, obviously with he had a prior relationship with Giancarlo Esposito from the boys, which was incredible to get him for Baxter at the beginning. Um, obviously he and Rose, voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Um, he and Rose Byrne, you know, the neighbors movies, platonic, they've worked a ton together and they're friends. So getting her for Leatherhead and, uh, uh, Paul Rudd, uh, obviously they, they go way back. <laughs> Perfect um, choice. Perfect choice. He was, he was so funny. Uh, for Mondo, our our editor Greg Levitin did the scratch voice for Mondo Gecko up until we cast Paul, and he also did a really great job and um was very funny. But uh, but man, Paul Rudd was hilarious, and he he improvised a lot, and and you know if it's it's hard because so many people are singing, but the part where they're all singing "What's Up" in the car together, uh, he's just going like over and over again, um. And I step outside and I step out. Like just, he's just saying that over and over instead of singing the song. Uh, but you know, he, he was nice and hilarious and great to work with. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else, like, uh, it was, it was always fun having, having people in person because some of those were over zoom, but Maya Rudolph, um, in person, uh, we recorded and she, again wonderful and so funny like she did so many variations on that voice for cynthia utram because we just wanted it to sound really bizarre and jeff's uh direction was kind of like kind of go for like a dr strange love like you know um and uh yeah that was it was so weird and good and and you know anytime she's saying milking machine we were just dying in the recording booth <laughs> um but um that yeah, scene was, alone was... <laughs> worth the price of admission. I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm glad yeah. you brought it back up because I would have forgot about it. But Splinter, I don't want to get too personal with you, but do you, do you have kids yet or no? No, not yet. Not yet. All right. So as a parent, Jackie's got kids, obviously. So he's he can play that. that it's going to make me sound like an, a, a fucking supervillain here, but it's like you have to control to a certain amount. And a yeah. lot of the times you have to control them through fear because kids are kids are fearless. Like I've got yeah, a two yeah, year totally. old that he'll hit the couch going like a hundred miles an hour. And then he doesn't even say catch me. And he's jumping off of the back of the couch. And then you just have to hope that either he bounces and he survives or you catch him. You know what I mean? So yeah. like you have to use fear to like, like, Hey, you can't really jump cause you'll get a boo-boo or you'll get hurt. And the fact, the fact that they kept, he kept saying you Humans are going to get you and then they're going to milk you. Like the first time he said it, I thought it was hilarious. And he kept going on and on. I'm like, I know what they're doing. They're setting up a milking scene here pretty soon. And you get to that, that, that end of it. And he's like, yeah, now we're going to milk you. He's like, you see the shock and the, and the terror in all the turtles faces. He's like, oh my God, dad was right. They're going to milk <laughs> us. You know, that was such a fun scene. I mean, do you have any idea of where that, that whole, the we're going to milk turtles for their ooze type of thing came from? Was that anybody in particular? I have no idea. I I don't know if I don't Whoever know if did it. it was it was either Seth and Evan or the other writers Dan and Benji, uh, Dan Hernandez and Benji Samet. Um, yeah, I I don't know whose idea it was first, but it. I remember the first draft of the script that it came in there. There were a couple jokes with it, and then just kept adding to it just because it was so funny. And um, 
you know, it ended up becoming that running gag. And it's like, well, we got to pay it off in this major way. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, you got the mega milker thing and behind Cynthia Utrum, that ridiculously oversized vat that they're trying to fill to the top. Um, yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah, man, like I said, it was it's it's so fun. Uh, like I said, ear to ear, I was smiling the entire movie. Uh, you know, as we start to wind down, uh, when you take a look back at like your entire uh, what's the word journey through this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of like your high points in there? I don't want to really get to the low, so I'm not going to ask you a low point either. Um, but like, what were some of like the, the most fun days you had there? Was it getting to sit in on the voice cast? Was it just sitting there shooting the shit, working out a script, watching the dailies, you know, walking through Jeff, what was, what were some of your funnest days on production? Yeah. I mean, records, any, any records that we did with, uh, the four boys were were definitely highlights. Um, they it, leading up to that was my most challenging part of my job, just because I'm having to schedule four different kids that need, you know, some of them needed studio teachers. I had to get COVID tests for everybody, see when everybody has school and if they have other, you know, projects that they're working on. So finding a time where all of they all of them align, and then if Seth needed to be there, finding time for him to be there, and so that was just all these juggling pieces um that really was i was always i was always just kind of spinning things until the very last second when we got and then i could breathe once we actually got into the studio and and that's when it was really fun just because you know the four of them over the course of the movie you know got to be friends with each other and you know once once they start recording it it's kind of like you're in the room hanging out with the ninja turtles like which is Mm -hmm. you know surreal and hilarious Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they would bring so much energy and, and comedy and, um, just date, like, you know, I've, I've talked about before, but the, that moment, the bacon, egg and cheese moment where they're riffing off of each other, <laughs> that was not originally in the script at all. That was just something that, that they were doing. Um, and luckily the microphones were on, we ended up having to, to redo some of it, but, uh, you know, I, I remember Seth and Jeff just dying, sitting there laughing just because it was so funny. And it was so it just felt like something you would do with your friends as teenagers, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of goofing around of stuff that you heard on TikTok. And um, but moments like that, that were just like, this is this hilarious, magical moment that has to go into the movie. That was really fun. And um, the other things that I really enjoyed was, yeah, just days just getting to sit in editorial with Jeff and Greg as they're going through the movie and, and seeing the decisions he was making in terms of, you know, Oh, okay. This scene is, is dragging a little bit. If we cut this out, it can make the story point better. Or, um, you know, maybe there's a different joke that would fit here better and, and pull the whole scene together. Um, and watch, yeah, watching that happen was great. Um, and then also just on a, on a personal level, when we got to, bring in Kevin Eastman and and record him for that. That was just kind of full circle for me, just because he's been a creative hero of mine for, for so many years and, um, you know, uh, getting, getting to work with him uh, in a professional way versus just like approaching him as a fan at at Comic-Con was, was a, a huge uh, moment for me. And I was, I was excited and proud and, um, yeah, but we we had a lot of good times in the did movie. You cry? You know? I mean, uh, not till later, but I did tear up at one point. Yeah, 
for sure. I, uh, when I when we were at San, Di- San Diego Comic Con, uh, you know, last month, um, you know, being being in Hall H and and having you know four thousand people in there and seeing him and Jeff up on stage and um, showing clips of the movie and and seeing all the people react, that definitely got me. And uh, it's it's something that you know I've seen it in theaters a few times since then, just because I really enjoy seeing it with a crowd. You know, you see it in a vacuum for so long, and then you know, getting those responses and stuff. It just, it kind of makes it feel like all the, all the work has paid off. So, um, but it was, it was a blast. I mean, this is the fourth animated movie that I've worked on and, and by far the the most fun and the one that's meant the most to me. And uh, I'm excited that it's doing so well. And I, I hope that I can continue to be part of the franchise as it goes forward, just because I think it's, it's a really great time. It's, it's, um, there's a lot going on besides our movie that's succeeding right now in terms of the last Ronin comic and the video games that are out there right now. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, a second wave of turtle mania, which is great to see. It really is, man, because for so long, I mean, there was such a huge gap um, in between turtles. Like you had the three movies in the nineties um, that kind of wrapped up. Then you had the next, what was the next mutation, next generation, next mutation where they yep, used the yep. turtle Venus um, you know, you know the, the 2003 series on Fox and then, uh, you know, you had the 2006 movie, you know, the animated movie yep. and then 12, yep, yep. 15 with Rise and everything like that, you know. So there was there's definitely always it, they've always been a huge part of my life, just like they have as yours and so many other fans and getting to see a new take. Is, it's been a breath of fresh air, you know, even though they're in a sewer, you know, it, <laughs> it's been so fun getting to revisit these characters. And then it, they felt so different, yet they felt so familiar. And like I said, I think there's a very fine line that you guys can cross both positively and negatively when you come and you touch a franchise like the Turtles or yeah. like G.I. Joe Transformers, because people have have literally grown up with these characters for multiple decades at this point. So it's, it's, it's like having a friend that you've known yeah. forever, you know? So you guys having all of that extra pressure on top of you guys um, and still crushing this movie, like I said, it just, it's, it is a testament to how hard you guys worked. It shows up in the movie. It shows up in every scene and what a great segue. Cause my next question was about scene. If you could pick just one scene from this entire film. Yeah. that would encapsulate what the turtles are about or it would be this is what ninja turtles is is there one or two scenes that you can pull from to say this is this is turtles in 10 seconds type of thing yeah um i mean i think the i think their introduction uh when they're when they're in the bodega and doing the shopping around town i think that's a a good indicator of this version of the turtles because they're it's it's comedic uh it's it's you know they're still kind of sneaking around the city you get a you get a sense of each one of their personalities from that um so i, I think that one's really great it's it the scene it's almost like a mini scene but one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is after they watch ferris bueller and um and trenton atticus's score in this this part is just also so great too but you know they're looking out and and seeing all the people that are getting to just go about their lives and um be normal they're walking walking back through the sewer and it's kind of melancholy and and Mikey's looking out the sewer grates and he he feels like he's trapped in there and you know we've literally got the bars on the windows and i feel like that moment just kind of shows 
everything about them in terms of these are these characters that feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're outcast. They, this is what they want. They want to be members of that society. Um, but they feel like they can't and they're, they're stuck in the sewer. And I think that kind of just immediately shows anybody, anybody who's even never seen Ninja Turtles before. I think that scene shows, Hey, these are, these are what these guys have lived with their entire lives. And this is what they want to be. Um, so I think, I think that's a really crucial scene. And then, um, I also think just the climax of the movie when they're Leo's given his big speech about, you know, how each one of their inherent talents, uh, is really all that they need to be heroes and defeat, you know, super, super duper fly at the end. Um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love that moment. And I love, you know, Brady's delivery for Raph being like, you know, for the first time in your life, you actually sound like a leader and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, um, but there's, there's so many great scenes. It's hard to pick one. I know it's, it's such a loaded question because as soon as we get done, you'll probably think of like two or three other scenes. Like, damn it. Why did I say that? Oh, one? for why sure. For sure. Instead of that yeah. one. It always happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I figured it'd be a, a very cool moment to, to, to end on. And uh, like I said, I, I think when we started talking, I was like, Hey man, I, I I've got some turtle cred. You know, I got to talk to Kevin Eastman for my podcast, not too long. I think that was one of the episodes I had sent you just so you yeah. can get the, get an idea for the flow and, and, and how I kind of conduct these interviews. Not really yeah, interviews. I, I try to keep it as a conversational piece. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's, it's been great. Oh, thanks man. Um <laughs> Getting to meet, you know, even though it was through Zoom, uh, my hero, Kevin Eastman, you know, it yeah. was one of the most surreal. Like, I literally looked at him for like the first five, six seconds, super awkward. I'm like, dude, before I even hit record, I'm like, dude, you're my hero. Like, I did just <laughs> I don't really know what to say to you, man, other yeah. than you created my childhood. Like, if it wouldn't have been for Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird creating the Ninja Turtles. I don't know what I'd be into because that was my entry point into anything nerdy. Any of these yeah. cartoons that I've got up behind me that I've drawn, any of these manga that I have back here, comic books that I've got right over here on my shelves. I mean, you can see the one long box over here behind me. I mean, it all started with Kevin Eastman and Peter Lair with the Ninja Turtles. If it wasn't for yeah. them, I'd be into like some shitty music or <laughs> possibly into drugs. I don't know, man. But if it, if it wasn't for them, I would not have the the just the joy that I have every time I get to walk into my office and look at my turtles you know I've got every yeah. iteration of a turtle up here you know so getting to talk to him was probably one of my greatest times on the podcast right just getting to sit there yeah. and just pick his brain for a few minutes um, and show him <clears throat> I'm getting all choked up now show him a picture of myself when I'm like two years old it's my birthday party oh, yeah. I've got ninja turtle pjs on i've got Raphael, which has always been my favorite turtle in my hand and i've got donatello which has always been my second favorite turtle in my other hand and i'm just looking at all of my ninja turtle toys i was like i showed him that picture i was like dude this is you i was like you did you and peter did all of this you know so i know how special my moment was getting to talk to him um what yeah. would what was your moment like because you know you said you, you cried after i cried you know, I started to tear up and I was like, all right, we got to hit end now. So my hero doesn't see me crying. But, uh, you know, <laughs> what was your moment getting to meet Kevin? Like, man, I'd like to end it on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, no. And yeah, it was, it was so meaningful for me. I, I had met him a handful of times at San Diego comic-con, uh, prior to this, but obviously never 
that was, you know, it was, it was always as a fan. And, um, you know, my, the very first time I met him was, I think it was like my second comic con, which would have been 2008 or 2009. And he was at the heavy metal, uh, magazine booth at the time. It was kind of a, you know, it was an in-between time for the turtles. And, um, anyways, there wasn't, there wasn't a line or anything. He had some stuff for the 25th anniversary of the turtles. So, my buddy Josh, you know, nudged me. and was like, Hey, I think that's Kevin Eastman over there. And we went over to the booth and, um, you know, he, he signed a book for me and he did a, a Raphael sketch for me, uh, yeah. which I, I still have in treasure. And, and he was just so nice. He was, uh, you know, I, I, while he's drawing, he's asking me, he's like, Oh, so what do you, you know, what do you do? Are you in school? And it's like, Oh yeah, I'm studying, you know, studying, uh, film production. I want to be, I want to be a writer someday for, for TV and movies and, he was just very encouraging and, and optimistic. And um, obviously that had a big impact on me. And so, you know, the years since I, I met him a couple other times and he was always super nice. And so, yeah, when it was getting to be um, towards the end of production on this movie, uh, we had a handful of characters that had, you know, anywhere between one and three lines that we still needed to cast and get into come record. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, people like news anchors like the the police officers that you see on the street random characters that are like yelling at splinter you know that kind of thing um so i sent this list of here's the characters left that need to be cast and for a few of them i sent jeff like hey here are some harebrained ideas i have for who to cast for those roles and uh at the time there was that character that walked up to splinter um after he had been thrown by Superfly and he was hurt and this guy walks up to him and, and leans down. He's like, Hey, are you okay? And he helps him. And uh, at the time the character was in what's called rough layout, which means they just had a temporary character there. And it kind of looked like Jeff. And I was like, if the final version is going to look like you, then you should just, that should be your cameo in the movie. Um, but if it doesn't look like you, that would be a great role for Kevin Eastman because it's this character that is a friend to the turtles who's helping them. And it's kind of this big moment. Um, and he really liked that and, and ran it up the chain to, to Seth and the executives and they all really liked it. So they reached out to Kevin and uh, a couple of weeks later, I was setting up a recording session with him and it was, um, I was wrapping up on the movie. I was, I was going to be finishing the like following Friday and Kevin was like, well, I'm actually out of town for a convention this week, but I'll be back next week. And I was like, okay, like, and I, you know, I was like a little worried that I might not be on the movie still for when he was uh, able to record, but luckily it's like, oh, I could do next Thursday, um, which is like my second to last day. So I was like, yes, let's do it then. Um, so, you know, I set it up and obviously it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of pressure. I, like I, we had all the artists that were in the area come into the studio that day in case he wanted to come by the office. Um, you know, we set up uh, a, a space in Paramount uh, recording stage for him and, and had a bunch of materials ready to go to show him because um, he really hadn't seen much up until this point. Uh, and it was just, it was amazing. Like it, it couldn't have gone like, you know, in my head, it's, you, you have so much pressure that you put on yourselves, especially when you're, meeting and working with a hero like that. And he was just so great and so humble and, uh, um, you know, came in and, and recorded his lines and, and, you know, Jeff kind of let him ad lib a little bit and came up with some fun extra stuff for him to do. Uh, there's this moment where 
that character is riding on the back of Genghis Frog. And so he, you know, had Kevin, you know, screaming and coming up with some different things for him to say. And um, I think he had a good time with it. And then he did a short interview for um, just behind the scenes stuff. And then once he wrapped up with that, you know, it's like, I don't know what kind of time you have. If you'd like to stop by the production office, we'd love to show you some stuff. If you got to go, that's fine. He's like, no, please let's, let's go. And so um, I drove him in a golf cart over, over the turtles office. And he came in and he took the time to stop and, and talk to every single artist that was there and ask him, you know, what do you, what do you do on the movie? And um, you know, everybody, everybody's kind of just in awe. Cause it's like, we've been working on this thing that none of us would have jobs or be able to make this movie if he hadn't had come up with this with Peter 40 years ago. So it was, it was a big deal to everybody. And um, our production designer, Yashar Kasai, uh, and our our producer Ramsey McBean took him into our review room and and showed him a bunch of clips and a bunch of the final animation that was being edited in and he just he genuinely seemed to like it and be like you know like it seems like you guys really get it like you 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 know there's there's been lots of versions of this thing and it seems like this is uh this is going to be something special so to all of us we were just like oh my god the highest praise you could yeah. ever ask for um and uh and it was awesome and so yeah i was i was just like on cloud nine and and a real thing and it was uh choked up just thinking about it um after after he left it for me it was just kind of like if there's one thing that i contributed to the movie um it was that so yeah um but i'm 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 so glad he got to be part of it i'm glad that at comic con that he was on the panel up there with kevin or with uh jeff just because obviously with the strike we couldn't have the talent up there because none of the none of the actors could be present and so i feel like he really got that kind of like hero's welcome that he deserved in hall h um yeah so it was it was a special thing and uh i'm glad that he's getting to see how impactful it has been on so many people um just because you know i not every creator lives to see that and he's seen it so many times over his life of people come back to this franchise and um and uh and he's so humble about it he could easily be he could be a dick if he wanted to be Mm -hmm. and and i don't think anybody would blame him for it um but he's not and he's he's gracious and uh um and I'm really glad that he's back to making Turtles comics again, like the the IDW stuff that he's he's doing the covers for and everything with Last Ronin. And um, it's uh, it it just it makes me really happy that that he's working on stuff and he's he's doing pencils of things that Peter's still inking. And it um, it just it just makes me happy that after all these years, uh, he's he's getting to still uh, get benefits from it, even if he doesn't own the IP anymore. So, yeah, because you, you you said it, you said it so poignantly. I mean, it's there's so many creators that birth something that so many people love and they don't get to see it. You know, one yeah. big person that I can always think of and I actually wanted to show you this. I had it sitting out here, um, but uh, I don't know if I can get it on there. Oh, but wow. The, uh, yeah. Julian. Yeah, little, yeah. Kevin Eastman fan club, man. Uh, you know, I signed up for that a little while ago. I just saw it and I just want to show you. But um. Uh, Bill Finger is a guy that that comes to mind right away 
He was the co-creator of Batman. He didn't get his just due until Batman versus Superman in 2016. That's 60 years almost after he 50, 60 years somewhere. And I think he died in the 60s um, after he passed away, you know, and with Bill Finger, most people don't know anything that you loved about Batman. The suit, Gotham City, Alfred, Joker, Robin, the Batmobile. I can keep going if you'd like to, ladies and gentlemen. He created that that aspect. Bob Kane took a hundred percent credit for it for the longest time. And it, like I said, it wasn't until 2016 where he finally got his name co-created with Bob Kane, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I love seeing, um, I love seeing nice guys finish first, man. I love yeah. seeing people that have given so much joy, get just as much, if not more joy back from the people that they gave that joy to originally. Right. It's one of those, those weird fortune cookie type of things, you know, it's, it's always cool to, to know, not just any creator, but anybody in particular that what you did mattered, what you've done, help somebody, what you did progress somebody's life, you know, one day extra. I've talked to so many people, you know, in Comic-Con lines sitting there waiting to meet our favorite creator. And it goes without this book, without this show, without this guy, without this girl, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know if I'd still be alive because it got me through some dark shit, man. And and getting to hear uh, some of those stories and, you know, it, it everybody being united by the turtles, right? I mean, Kevin and Peter, they, they did the Lord. I'm not a religious guy, but they did the Lord's work, man, with this one. And like I said, it's so nice knowing that they know how much they mean to so many of us. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I said, this movie, ladies and gentlemen, go see it. It's phenomenal. Um, it's, I, I can't wait to go again. I, I really just honestly can't wait until it's on DVD so I can just sit in my house and just watch nothing but <laughs> just turtles, watch just watch the turtles, man, because I know that's something the little guy will like, because right now we're on a rotation of trolls, which is a great movie. Um, Puss and Boost Last Wish, another great movie and Boss Baby. I just saw this one for the first time, uh, a couple, a couple weeks ago, Boss Baby, that original one. Oh yeah. Fucking yeah. phenomenal movie. Like the animation <laughs> cut sequences. It was so fun. Um, you know, so I, like I said, I can't wait till this one, either digital DVD, I don't care. So I can get that in rotation with the little guy. Um, you know, I, I like think, to end it on, I think on, September, if I, if I were some, sometime in September, I think is when it's on digital maybe. So yeah, I can't it's coming. I used to be a, I used to be an only physical guy, man. But ever since they started doing those early releases, I'm like, all right, man, I, I like to sit on my couch and eat shitty food and just veg <laughs> out, man. Um, but uh, I like to end it on uh, I like to end it on this question because I think it's pretty it's, it's a nice way to go out, man. Uh, so if you could if you take the entire production from start to finish with Turtles from yeah. the early days to getting to see this for the fourth, fifth, sixth time, every many times you see it in the theaters. Um if you could describe your entire experience with the turtles during this production time, one word, one sentence, one phrase, man, what would your, what would your word sentence or phrase be? My phrase. Oh man. Um, uh, I, 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 this is uh, uh, dramatic, but I guess, I guess nothing more or less than, then the absolute highlight of my professional career is, is what I would yeah. describe this experience as. Yeah, for sure. No. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm obviously I've got, I've got aspirations. I want to, I want to write things. I want to do more, but being, being here, getting to wake up every day and getting to work on this movie um, was a feeling that I've, that I've never had for anything else that I've ever worked on, which is like, yeah, some days are hard. Some days you're tired and, and busier than others and not everything goes right. But 
at the end of the day, I got to work on a Ninja Turtles movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, like I said, man, living the dream. Um, thank you again for doing this. I, I've really been looking forward to to chatting with you. Uh, oh, you know, it's great talking before... to you. Oh, thank yeah. you, man. Uh, way before this movie came out, I knew I knew it was going to be great just by the the aesthetics from it. Like I said, you guys crush it in every aspect. Um, for the folks that might not follow you already on the socials, man, what are your socials? Where can they find you at? Where are you posting to? Yeah, I'm still I'm still on Twitter or X uh, at Ajustra, and I'm on Instagram uh, at Justragram. Um, so. At least, at least for now, until you know something new comes along, and <laughs> but you can find you can find me on migrate. yeah exactly um yeah you can find me on either of those so beautiful and those links, ladies and gentlemen, will be in the description of this video below. So just scroll down, click, and it'll take you over to Andrew, and you can tell him what a wonderful job they all did on this movie, man. Well, like I said, Andrew, thank you again. Uh, I had a blast. I can't wait to, to do this again for the sequel and the TV series. If you're up for it, I know I will be. Um and no better way to end it, man. He's been Andrew. I've been Julian. It's been the What's in My Head podcast, and this has been another piece and a very huge piece of your childhood. Good night. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Before we go, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with the podcast today. I truly appreciate every download and listen we get. If you're liking what we're doing, drop us a five-star rating, drop us a review, tell a friend, and I'll see you next week.